the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Think about your own life experiences. In fact, maybe you're in the middle of one of these right now, be it a challenging and painful divorce that you don't want, the recent loss of a job, maybe facing illness as well. There are times when you manage okay, you get through the day all right, there's enough to keep you occupied and busy. But there are other times, maybe particularly so in the quiet of the evening, when your thoughts seem to overwhelm you, when it just seems to be impossible to turn your thoughts off, either reasoning through how you're going to try and fix a challenge or a problem or worrying about what might happen if and the potential consequences. And at the end of the day, you seem to be absolutely overwhelmed by your thoughts. And worse still, your biggest prayer Your overwhelming desire is just to simply find a way to shut them off. You just want to have a moment of peace. (laughs) There have been times when I've gone through that, and I've thought, you know, if they're away, if I can't shut my thoughts off, maybe I just need to cut my head off. (laughs) Maybe that would work. Well, of course, that's in the extreme, and we would never recommend that. But there are things that you can take. I don't mean a pill, by the way. There are steps that you can take that can help you better manage your thoughts. At the end of the day, of course, your thoughts will lead to your feelings, your feelings lead to actions, and sometimes you might act or react in a fashion that is wholly inappropriate, that exacerbates the situation or problem that you are facing. Best-selling author Tracy Miles joins us now. She has written a new book called Unsinkable Faith, God-Filled Strategies to Transform the Way You Think, Feel and live. And Tracy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. Great to be here. Wow, this is a tough assignment for a lot of folks because I don't know if this is true of everybody, but certainly many people that I know that when they are overcome by feelings of uselessness or desperation. They're dealing maybe with a a very painful divorce that they didn't want. They've recently been laid off. There's some kind of a financial calamity that they're dealing with or or something as difficult as a illness, maybe even a terminal illness. Your thoughts sometimes take control and they can be overwhelming. That is so true. And that's exactly why I wrote the book, Unthinkable Faith, because I found myself in a, a position of such despair and, you know, really just being consumed by negativity and pessimism. And, you know, God just really helped me to live out this message so that I could write about it to hopefully help others realize that they can have victory over their thoughts. They don't have to be controlled by negative thoughts that keep coming to mind day after day. For you, you describe early on in the book a, a major turning point 
that came out of a conversation, and I would imagine it's it's not the conversation that all of us would think of when we think about a, a conversation with Jesus. Uh, it's typically, Lord, help me here, help, Lord, help me there. But you had a, you had a serious sit-down, <laughs> I guess, for the want of a better definition. Mm-hmm. I definitely did. And as you've mentioned, um, uh, my personal situation was going through an unexpected and unwanted and fairly abrupt uh, separation from my husband and divorce. And I was going through just all the devastation and confusion of that situation for many, many months. And I finally just came to a point to where I just kind of lost it. (laughs) And I had been trying to be so strong and really lean on my faith and just be strong for my kids and you know, but the thoughts that come along with any kind of negative circumstance or any kind of life upheaval can just really become all-consuming and overwhelming, and they can cause us to sink spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. And so this is where I had found myself this day was really at my weakest, lowest point, and I had no other option at this point but just to ask Jesus, you know, I just need you to rescue me from, from sinking. And after I spent several hours in prayer, just pouring my heart out to God, and I was angry and upset and confused and hurt, I just kind of laid there in the aftermath. I was laying in my bedroom just all by myself, and I suddenly realized that I wasn't alone, and I heard God's whisper to my ear, and it said, but will you still love me? And my immediate answer was, I will still love you, Lord, which almost caught me off guard because that's not the place where my mind was really thinking. But it just became a turning point for me because it really opened my eyes to see that I do still love the Lord. He is still with me, and I can get through this, but I can't keep letting my thoughts sink me in despair and negativity. And the challenge I find with thoughts is that you can begin with the best of intentions, uh, start the day out in prayer and in Scripture, and, and you've sort of purposed in your mind, at least you thought, that you're going to stay away from any negativity, and then boom, suddenly something hits you. Uh, either you get distracted in some fashion, maybe somebody says something that they, they didn't mean to put your mind in that direction, but they did, and suddenly you're back into this quagmire, this downward spiral where you feel like you're losing control. Yeah, I think that pretty much happens to all of us (laughs) because, you know, we're never going to arrive as a positive thinker. We're never going to be able to keep that up all day, every day. But we can, we can make efforts to really change the way that we habitually think and the way that we, you know, tend to react. We can change that over time. It just needs to be an intentional choice. We need to invite God into the process to help us transform our minds and transform the way that we think so that, you know, when somebody does cut us off in traffic or when someone does say something that upsets us, it doesn't really affect us in the same way that it would have before. Mm, Understood. Um, The Scripture certainly tells us that our thoughts should be transformed by, in our lives, transformed by our thoughts. But, of course, that process begins by transforming our mind. How does that process begin for you? Well, that is really my favorite verse, and that's one of the core verses, Romans twelve two, that you're referring to, which says, you know, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And it's just such a profound verse, and it really just reassures us that we can be changed. And like you said, it does have to begin in the mind. And in Unthinkable Faith, I do offer three strategies that are super simple, but also very profound and really ushering in radical change in our life. And basically, it's just 
recognize the thoughts that you're thinking that are negative, reject those, you know, just refuse to think those anymore each time they come to mind, and then immediately replace that thought with something that's more positive or maybe more true. So recognize, reject, and replace. And if we begin to implement those super practical steps into our life every day, you know, over time, it will get easier and easier. In the At the onset, it will seem like, oh, this is a chore. I have to constantly remind myself to do this. But after several weeks of doing something, it becomes more of a habit for us. I was going to say, you kind of, you kind of equate this, our, you kind of equate this then, uh, Tracy, to uh, forming of a good habit. They say, you know, it, it takes 30 days to form a habit. So if suddenly you're trying to, you know, lose weight or modify some behavior in your life, you need to get to it, stay with it, and do so for at least 30 days. Is that in part what we're talking about here? That's definitely what we're talking about, but studies have really proven that we can't really form a brand new habit that we're going to stick to in just 30 days. You know, it might take 60 days. It might take someone six months, but the end result will be so worth the effort that we put into it. All right. Understood. Now, let's talk about getting on the track of that habit, because the one thing that I know many people will be challenged by, and that is, well, if along that road... I stumble, I fall, I slip back into bad habits. I feel as if I've completely defeated myself. I'm starting at zero all over again. And that, I think, oftentimes for many folks, Tracy, is the point at which they just find it's easy to give up. Well, we can certainly give up. Anytime we get frustrated with something we're trying to do, that, that's our human tendency. Um, but I love Ephesians 4.23 that says, let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. And it's just another example that it can happen for us. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Mm. All right, let's talk about a few ways in which, and you've, you've spent some time in the book, I might add, um, gathering stories about how folks have been able to develop these changes in their thinking, basically transforming their mind, and as a result, experiencing a transformed life. Walk us through a few. Well, there are several different stories in the book. Um, one that comes to mind specifically because this, this person has, I've never actually met her face-to-face. Her name is Kayla, but she was diagnosed with a brain tumor not quite a couple years ago. And her faith and her optimism and her positive outlook is literally astounding. And, you know, she really struggled with the fear of this diagnosis that she had received and how was it going to affect her and you know she's got three small children and she continued to walk through and I follow her on social media and she would post these posts that I just that just blew me away but as she began to really implement these steps into her life it helps her through some of those really hard times and now she's on the other side of surgery and treatments and she's doing really well and has you know she has some issues that she has to deal with but her attitude is simply amazing and it's all because she intentionally decided regardless of this adversity regardless of the fear of the unknown and not knowing what the future is going to hold I'm going to be positive and I'm going to have a life full of joy and I'm going to put my hope and my trust in God and I'm not going to spend so much time being negative when I can devote that time to being positive. A big part of this then is the decision-making process, isn't it? It definitely is. We can't, you know, until we set our minds to something, no pun intended, (laughs) we are not going to accomplish it. So we have to choose 
first choose that, you know, we want to change, no matter how long someone thinks, I've always been a negative thinker, or my whole family's just pessimistic, and that's the way I'm wired. Regardless of how long we may have felt that we're kind of in this this trap of negativity, we do not have to stay there, because God can rescue us from sinking further and further into a life of, you know, seeing the glass half empty instead of half full. And, you know, that making the decision to do that, uh, there's more power in that than I think most people really realize. I, I recall going through a, an experience of a cancer diagnosis, and I'd watched my mother um, struggle through uh, the effects of ovarian cancer for the better part of a decade and a half. And the one thing that constantly struck me about the way she managed everything from the diagnosis to the surgery to years on and off of uh, chemotherapy, remission, and feeling good for a while, then back on chemotherapy and so forth. And that was that she always remained with a positive attitude. She never threw pity parties. Uh, She never got, or at least she never displayed any degree of of concern or fear when she was um, in hospital or dealing with the chemotherapy sessions. And when I was eventually diagnosed um, back in uh, 2015, I decided, you know, I've got to approach this the way my mother did. Mm-hmm. And so as nervous as I was going into the hospital and dealing with surgeons and doctors and wires and tubes and all of the stuff that goes on inside of a hospital, as 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 scared as I was of the process, I thought, you know, I am going to decide that 100% of my faith and confidence in getting through this experience is going to be on the Lord and that God is going to get me through this no matter what. And I am not going to give in to fearful thinking. And I have to tell you, uh, the way in which God met me, because I made that definitive proclamation, I made that decision that I wasn't going to succumb to the negativity, I wasn't going to yield to the fear, I don't want to take the time (laughs) to tell you how many ways, Tracy, in which God met me and honored that. Mm-hmm. Well, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, so many times in my life, but especially in the past couple of years with, you know, what our family has been going through. And I really had that turning point that I talked about a minute ago. That was really a life-changing moment for me because, like you, I had to decide, am I going to let this bring me down or am I going to rise up and let God, you know, help me get through this? And just like you're saying, I know that He has provided for us in miraculous ways. And I have been able to have peace and happiness and just enjoy my life despite the circumstances that we're going through and just really be thankful for our blessings. And, you know, when we change our perspective about life, it truly changes our life overall. We're going to take a brief time out, come back to more of our visit tonight with Tracy Miles. Tracy is the author of this new book we've been discussing, Unsinkable Faith, God-Filled Strategies to Transform the Way You Think, Feel and Live. Newly published, by the way, by David Cook Publications. You'll find it at the usual suspects, Amazon.com. And Tracy, can it also be ordered through your website? Um, it can be ordered through Proverbs31.org, but you can link to it from my website. Okay, so either link, either link through TracyMiles.com or through the Proverbs 31 Ministries website. Okay, we'll take a brief time out. Come back to more of our visit with Tracy Miles. Unsinkable Faith as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
We're talking about Unsinkable Faith, the title of a new book written by Tracy Miles, newly published by David Cook, dealing with the challenge of transforming your life by transforming your mind. And before you think we're getting all new agey here, this is very much a biblically-based principle. But I'm curious, Tracy, for someone eavesdropping on our conversation right now who says, but you guys don't understand, I can't turn it off. Every time I try to turn it off, that switch manages to slap back on into the on position. What do you say to that individual? Well, we could say that the phrase um, can't never could, (laughs) (laughs) but all things are possible in Christ. And that is really why I, I think God had me walk out this message before I could write about it, because I was in that position of thinking, you know, these this situation that I'm in is so devastating, is so difficult, is, you know, bringing on so many emotions that I'm trying to struggle with. There's just no way. I almost felt like I was in a brain fog for many months, but there is a way, and it's called Jesus. So we just have to invite Him, and I keep saying invite because He wants to do this for us. He wants to help us transform. Scripture tells us that He wants us to, but that also we can, but we have to invite Him into the process and believe and trust that he could do that transformation in us, too. Let's talk about some of the, uh, we'll call them God tools, the resources that are available to us through Scripture that can help us better fight and control those thoughts when they kind of get out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, there are lots of tools at our fingertips, so we have lots of resources that we can always tap into, but we can never find better resources than God's Word and our prayer life. And so even though they seem like just your normal, you know, run-of-the-mill tools that we would think of, we often take so for granted the power that we can find in those. And several years ago, I share a story in the book about when I read the Chronological Bible um, all the way through throughout the year. And it just truly made the Word come alive to me for the very first time. And I truly understood you know, how God can really speak to us through His Word. And I've heard Him answer so many prayers and speak to me in such profound ways in the past few years that there's just no way to discount that. And so I'm just passionate about helping people tap into those tools because we have them available. We just often neglect to take advantage of them. And, you know, even in my own life, I think of the number of times that I have dealt with the negative thoughts and struggled through all of the, I'm a worry wart, so (laughs) I immediately go to the worst case scenario. I probably would have been a great writer for mystery novels and things of that sort, because I always managed to find the, uh, you know, the the dark string or thread behind the, uh, the black cloud. But that said, the one thing that I found in my life, and that is that when I feel overwhelmed by concerns or worry and I get myself into Scripture, uh, my brain suddenly cannot do two things at once. And now as I'm focused on Scripture, there seems to be no room for the negative thoughts and the worry, um, the distraction that uh, the enemy would rather put on me. And so staying focused in Scripture during those times Um, has made all the difference in my life, as as certainly you suggest it has in yours. What about the idea, Tracy, too, of having a support network? Well, we always want to surround ourselves with positive people. And I was thinking about when you were sharing your story about your mom and how she was such a great positive role model for you. I can relate to that as well, because my mother was a great positive role model for me. She also went through cancer and divorce and single parenthood and financial concerns. And not once 
did I ever see her being negative or bitter or just a pessimistic person, even to this day, and she's got a, a whole new set of issues. She is still the most positive person that I know. So we want to surround ourselves with positive people because that optimism becomes contagious. And, you know, we want to be contagious to other people in a good way and not in a bad way. So it's kind of a cycle that we do need to have that network of people, whether it's in our family or friends or coworkers. It's so important to have people to, to hold each other accountable to positive thinking and to staying true to the way that God wants us to live our lives. And let's differentiate here for some, someone listening right now that says, oh, yeah, I've met those kind of people. They're just so phony, positive, happy, happy, happy all the time, and you can see right through the veneer. We're not really talking about that here, are we? We're really talking about a level of joy and peace that is disconnected from our circumstances and rather based on our faith, based on our relationship with the Lord. Is that the important distinction here? It's the very most important distinction. You know, we can usually spot a fake or a faker a mile away, and but people can recognize when your optimism and your your positive thinking and your being a good, you know, a good friend and a good supporter, people recognize when that's genuine. And we can only be that way through through the the power of Christ within us, because this world is a negative place. We all have to deal with negative circumstances. We turn the television on, and we're bombarded with negative influences. So we have to make an effort, an intentional effort, starting from the inside out to really begin changing the way that we think so we can change the way that we live overall. Throughout the book, you don't just make proclamations and share insights, but you challenge the reader to not only think about what they've read, but to engage in that process of changing their thinking. And I think um, some of the engagement here uh, that you encourage the reader to do can be that additional special step that folks can take that can literally put them over the top and change their thinking. And of course, as we've suggested, changing our thinking can transform our lives. Right. And that was certainly my prayer by including all of these challenge exercises and the reflection, uh, you know, questions to consider. Because until we actually, we can read books all day long, but until we actually take what we've read and apply it to our life and make it a practical step that we go through each and every day, our life's not going to change. So we want to let God's Word get inside of us. We want to ask Him to help us start living in a new way and start thinking in a new way. And then we can really start making some strides and be more a more positive thinker. And as you suggest, it's a matter of not just reading, but reading and applying. And I think being patient, too. Sometimes we don't cut ourselves enough slack that if along the way we find ourselves reverting back into old habits or uh, suddenly we get stuck into, uh, a friend of mine used to call it stinking thinking, uh, mm-hmm. that's okay because we don't have to stay stuck there. And God will pull us back out of that hole and we can get right back up and right back on track again, can't we? That's right. His mercies are renewed every day. And just to encourage your listeners, um, a lot of studies have shown that 50, we have 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts per day, and 97% of those thoughts are the same ones we thought yesterday, and 80% of those were negative. So it just kind of opens your eyes to see the amount of negative thoughts, the tens of thousands of negative thoughts that we might be just inadvertently thinking every single day. But when we, you know, really intentionally try to change that and just gradually over time start creating new pathways in our brains, it'll, it's, it's amazing. I'm just amazed at what God's done in my life through this and through the, all the women that shared in the book about 
how it's really changed their lives as well. And there's so much that we can do to change our circumstances, either by changing our thinking or or just actively getting involved. I mean, you know, it, it's easy to say, oh my goodness, now as I'm I'm going to head home here, uh, leaving work tonight, am I going to I'm not going to have enough gas? I know I'm not going to make it home. Oh, I'm going to run out of gas on the freeway. I just know it. And you get locked into that mindset instead of saying, well, maybe you need to stop by and hey, here's a thought. Go buy and get some gasoline at the gas station on the way home. Right. <laughs> so it's the same. We don't want to let our negative thoughts derail us. That's right. It, and, 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 and believe me, it's the enemy's stated purpose to do just that. So we need to get the upper hand, and we certainly can and will through faith and through Scripture. A look at unsinkable faith, God-filled strategies to transform the way you think, feel, and live. Tracy Miles, its author, the publisher, is, of course... David Cook, and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Proverbs 31 Ministries, and uh, Tracy's website, if you're interested, tracymiles.com. Thanks to Tracy for being with us tonight on that segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The Mayan calendar says that the world's days are numbered, in fact, counting down to December of this year. And yet, in spite of the fact that there are those out there that would suggest that some of the prognosticating and predicting has a lot to be desired, the reality for Bible-believing Christians is simply this. As we study God's Word and look at the events unfolding around all of us, I think many of us would agree that to one degree or another, the clock is ticking. And many would suggest, looking at the changes that we've seen in our own nation over the last several decades, that in particular, the clock is ticking on America. Now, I understand that to some that sounds to be very foreboding, and yet the reality is that, um, well, frankly, if we look at a study of history, uh, we see that many great nations end up destroying themselves. They end up, in a sense, imploding upon themselves. And yet, as dark as this uh, perspective might be, uh, there can be some good news behind all of this. Good news found inside the pages of a new book entitled Twilight's Last Gleaming, How America's Last Days Can Be Your Best Days. The new book, authored by the senior pastor of the 11,000-member First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, also host of Pathway to Victory, heard nationwide in more than 700 stations across America. He is Dr. Robert Jeffress, senior pastor at First First Baptist Dallas, and Dr. Jeffress, a delight to have you on the program tonight. Well, thanks for having me tonight. As uh, many, I think, are, are looking at what's happening in our nation morally and politically and economically and wondering to ourselves, uh, in light of uh, spiritual issues as well and God's Word, just where is this nation headed? Well, uh, we know that America is eventually going to collapse because the Bible teaches this world is going to collapse. And if you want to put a finer point on it, when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 17, or Daniel 7, you find that America is going to end before the rest of the world ends. We know that the Bible teaches the final seven years of Earth's history will be a dictatorship in which people can't buy or sell without the permission of the Antichrist. We know people won't be free to worship. And when you think about it, that means at that point in time, the last seven years of Earth's history, uh, there can be no United States Constitution, no Bill of Rights, because there's no freedom of worship, no freedom of commerce. And once the Constitution is abolished, America will have been abolished. So we can say with certainty America is going to end. 
But as you said, instead of being doom and gloom about it, instead of building a bunker or buying gold, we ought to realize that we have an unprecedented opportunity to share the gospel. And in my book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, what I talk about is how Christians ought to live with the knowledge that we are in the last days either of America or we're certainly in our own last days. You know, I'd invite listeners tonight, uh, uh, take the age of 80, kind of a normal lifespan, and subtract your age right now from the age of 80, and you really quickly see that whether or not America's in its last years, you and I are in our last years. You know, that said, the Bible also talks about in the end days, men's hearts would fail within them for fear. And I find it curious that uh, most notably, a great deal of that fear seems to be amongst the elect. You made reference to Harold Camping, and of course, he's homegrown out of the San Francisco Bay Area, of which we take no pride whatsoever. Uh, But to see the point at which so many people living out of this absolute sense of fear to almost the point, I think, Dr. Jeffers, of being spiritually paralyzed, that they're they're focused more on being heavenly bound than understanding the, the job, the responsibility that we have as Christ said to us to occupy until he returns. And of course, looking at that so-called, you know, occupancy, we see the Occupy movement. What happened to the Occupy movement of the church to be salt and light? Well, I, and that's the essence of what I talk about in this book. Look, if your whole security and happiness is wrapped up in your economic well-being, then certainly you're going to be frightened by the headlines. If it's uh, wrapped up in freedom from uh, pain and and uh, inconvenience, you're going to be uh, paralyzed with fear at the thought of a coming persecution of Christians. But if you're like the Apostle Paul, who said, you know, I want you to know that my imprisonment has turned out for the preservation for the proclamation of the gospel, then you're able to see how even negative circumstances and negative headlines can work out for good. You know, it really comes down to whether your life is God-focused or self-focused. And uh, I just tell people in the book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, you know, the reason God left us here on earth, rather than rapturing us to heaven when we were saved, he's left us here not to build a bulging portfolio or to have a satisfying career or even to have a successful family. He left us here to point people to Jesus Christ. And in this book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, what I talk about is exactly what you said, how to be salt, that is a preservative, and light. No, we cannot prevent America's collapse but we can delay it a little while. And that's what we talk about in the book, about how to do that. Now, with that perspective in mind, Dr. Jeffress, uh, help put uh, perhaps some balance on this, which I think is largely where you're heading inside of the pages of Twilight's Last Gleaming. That sense that, for example, we've seen, and, and I know because you've, you've witnessed a lot of this in, in your career in, in the pulpit, um, this huge paradigm shift where we've seen the church go from being uh, very pacifist in our political activism and activities uh, to a season certainly at the heyday of things like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and the moral majority and all of that where we were extremely active almost with the sense that there was a political solution to what morally and spiritually ailed America. Both of these extremes though, whether we're talking about uh, political activism for the church at one end or absolute pacifism at the other, seem to be roads to nowhere. Am I right? You're exactly right. And what I do is strike the balance here. 
uh, really, I think we've almost swung the other way now to political pacifism. We think, why get involved in politics? Politics is a dirty word. We're citizens of heaven, not of earth. Why, why get involved? It's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. And what I say in this book is there is a reason for us to stand up and push back against unrighteousness. It's not that we're going to prevent the collapse of America, but we can delay it for a while. We can buy a little more shelf life for our country so that we have an opportunity to preach the gospel. And, uh, you know, I, I would say on a personal note, I mean, you know, if we all know we're going to die, why do we exercise? Why do we take vitamins? Why do we eat correctly? It's not that we're going to prevent our death, but we would like to delay it a little bit. And it's the same thing with our country. And I, prevent, uh, I present in this book a rationale for why we ought to get involved in politics. It's not a dirty word for Christians. The word means to influence. God wants us to influence our culture, not because we're going to save it, but we're going to uh, buy some time so that people can be saved. The phrase transformation of culture uh, is something that's very top of mind here, and I want to spend some time when we come back after a brief time out, Dr. Jeffers, talking about that, that this notion of, of transformation of culture through reconciliation and what that mean means to the believer. I'll look at a new book entitled Twilight's Last Gleaming, just newly released, the book available at uh, bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com, published by Worthy Press, and uh, its author is our guest tonight. He is senior pastor of the 11,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, also host on Pathway to Victory. He's Dr. Robert Jeffress. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation. Don't you go away. Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, if you analyze where the church has been on this topic for the last 30-something years, again, to, to lesser or greater degrees, uh, it seems as if we believe that we can largely influence change or transformation of culture uh, by participation in the polls. Now, uh, while I will be the last one to say that we should not be involved politically, in fact, in the arena of self-governance, uh, which we are, we are a self-governed nation, I believe as Christians, we have not just a right but a responsibility to be actively involved in the political process, the process of self-governance. But that said, in the end, when we talk about transformation of a culture, what are we really talking about? Dr. Robert Jeffress is with us tonight. A look at his brand new book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, How America's Last Days Can Be Your Best Days. And in the end, is it important, Doctor, for all of us to be mindful of the fact that the number one responsibility for the church, as we talk about the Great Commission, is to be about the business of reconciliation, meaning sharing the good news of the gospel? Absolutely. I mean, that is our primary task. It's interesting, after Erwin Lutzer read the manuscript for this book, and uh, he did an endorsement for it, he called me, and he said, you know, Robert, he said, when you and I were at Dallas Seminary, we kept hearing, you know, our job is to preach the Word, preach the Word. He said, I still believe that, but if we don't do a few other things, we may not have the opportunity to preach the Word any longer. And that's what I'm saying in this book, Craig. Yes, our, the way you change, the way you're going to save America if that's even possible, is by saving Americans. And that's one by one introducing people to faith in Jesus Christ. But to be able to buy time for us to do that, we have to act as salt. You know, when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, salt was a preservative. It didn't prevent the decay of meat. It only delayed the decay, gave it a little bit longer shelf life. 
And that's what we're doing by trying to elect godly leaders and try to follow godly principles as a nation. We're not going to usher in the millennium. Like Cal Thomas said, the kingdom of God isn't going to come riding in on Air Force One. But we are going to buy some time for our country so we can do our real task of sharing the gospel. You share a story inside the pages of Twilight's uh, Last Gleaming about a friend of mine, um, a pastor from the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, share a little bit about the story of Randy Alcorn, because I think in, in, a, in a microcosm, it, it's an example of the way in which I think the church needs to understand that uh, this is more normative Christian living, certainly from a, a, a first century church perspective, than what many of us think Christian living ought to be. Right. I mean, it's in the uh, uh, the chapter title, When Persecution Comes. And I talk about the fact that we do need to prepare for a coming persecution. And uh, you say, well, how can you say such a thing is happening? Look, in biblical times, we know people suffered for their faith. We know that uh, in the future, in the world, in the, during the tribulation, people will be suffering because of their faith. And it's the norm around the world right now for Christians to be suffering for their faith. Uh, as people rightly note, there were more martyrs uh, in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. It's that in America, Craig, we are living in this bubble that I don't think we're going to be in that much longer, that we are pretty much, you know, excluded from any at least outward signs of suffering for our faith. But I think that's going to be short-lived, and I think, uh, uh, as Randy's case illustrates, here's a pastor uh, at the time uh, in Bend, Oregon, who was protesting abortion clinics, was uh, uh, arrested, was uh, fined, I think had a judgment of $8 million against him by the abortion clinic, ended up uh, giving up his church and working for minimum wage uh, in order not to have to give his salary to an abortion clinic. And what I loved about Randy and his wife Nancy is, they didn't whine about it. You know, they didn't complain and say, oh, poor us, we're suffering for our faith. They understood, you know, that's the call of Christian to suffer just like Christ suffered. With all that in mind, uh, take us back full circle. I know that this is a tough year for a lot of Christians. Some are couching this in terms of winning against Barack Obama at all costs. Some are maybe led to vote based more out of fear, as you suggest, discourage Christians or focus more on uh, prosperity and avoidance of pain than than perhaps on doing the right thing. Um, Without suggesting that you ought to give any kind of an endorsement here, but just in terms of what we as believers need to be keeping top of mind as we are engaged in that process of self-governance. What are some of the things that you believe, and you talk about a bit about this in the book, that, that do, we need I, to think of in terms of how we engage in that political process? Well, I have a chapter in the book entitled, How a Christian Should Vote. It's not that we're going to bring in the millennium through the right leaders, but I do think a nation prospers when you have godly leaders. You know, in Israel's time, it was the king who determined uh, whether a nation was righteous or unrighteous. If the king was righteous, God blessed. If it was, he was unrighteous, God judged the nation. But we in America have the right and the privilege of choosing our leaders. And every time we go to the ballot box, we're casting a vote for righteousness or unrighteousness. And I would never try to tell people for whom to vote. But in my book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, I do suggest four criteria to use in selecting a candidate. And I would say right now, when we're looking for a leader of our country, we ought to choose the most competent, consistently conservative Christian with character. You know, competency is a given. That has to be there. 
I think Christianity is important also. I make the case in the book that John Jay, the first uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, said, we have the duty and privilege in this Christian nation to select and prefer Christians as our leaders. You know, I got into some trouble in October when I suggested that Mitt Romney, a Mormon, wasn't a Christian, and that we ought to prefer a competent Christian over a competent non-Christian. But I think there's a biblical basis for that. But I think it also needs to be a Christian who demonstrates character. You know, it's easy to make a profession, a profession of faith, but if there's not character behind that profession of faith, uh, we're going to have some trouble in the White House. Well, we saw how that played out here in California after uh, Governor Gray Davis was recalled, and there was so much push by uh, Republicans and, and a handful of Christians in our state uh, to, to vote the most electable, which turned out to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, unfortunately, those of us that decided to vote the most principled, uh, Tom McClintock, we found ourselves on the losing side, but yet I have to tell you, uh, I slept better at least knowing that for a change I had an opportunity to vote for the best man as opposed to the most electable. Well, and that's what I said on Fox and Friends this morning, and uh, I really believe this. I think the real divide among evangelicals right now in this election is between those who use pragmatism and those who use principles in selecting mm-hmm. the candidate. There are the pragmatists who say, look, we are so uh, dead set on defeating Barack Obama, we don't care about a candidate's faith, we don't care about his consistency, we don't care about his character and his personal life. If he can defeat Obama, we're for him. And uh, I say, you know, if you're willing to surrender Christianity, consistency, and character to win the White House, I mean, even if you win, you've won a hollow victory with a hollow candidate. I think we ought to use principles for uh, selecting our candidates. Uh, You know, William F. Buckley had the famous maxim, you ought to choose the most conservative candidate who's electable. But I think Christians ought to use a higher principle, and that is the most competent, consistently conservative Christian with character. And like you said, we may or may not win, but we sure can't sleep better knowing we followed our principles. Well, and in the end, God doesn't call us to be pragmatic. He calls us to be principled based on his word. That's exactly right. It's a great book. We appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. By the way, the new book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, get it now at Amazon.com. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.